securing a company is like securing a house. When people think about security breaches, what they think about are the, the really sophisticated attacks, like nation state attacks, or the equivalent would be climbing up a tree to go like dive in the third story window, like jump over the laser beam and steal the jewels. It's a lot easier to break into a house if you walk in the front door that's unlocked. When times are tough, engineering leaders need as much help as they can get. Linear B helps dev teams continuously improve by providing correlated data, context, and automated workflows that help streamline code delivery and improve developer experience. Learn more at linearb.io. And check out our free tool, Gitstream. Gitstream is helping developers everywhere merge their code faster by revolutionizing the pull request review process. Every pull request is different. It's time we start treating them that way. Download Gitstream for free and learn more at gitstream.cm. Now, on to today's episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Dan Lyons, and today I'm joined by Matt Spitz, Head of Engineering at Vanta. Thanks for having me. Now, Matt, you're a security and systems expert. Vanta, where you serve as Head of Engineering, achieved unicorn status earlier this year with a valuation of $1.6 billion, a, you know, a tiny amount of money. Congrats on that. Thank you very much. It's a testament to the value we're delivering to our customers. Yeah, very like awesome milestone to hit. And, you know, it's probably safe to say that one of the reasons Vanta is doing so well is because you identified something we all kind of know to be true or maybe, you know, have been in this situation before. But it sounds something like startups suck or are not so good at security. And we're going to talk about why that is what startups can do to change that and how to build a better company culture, uh, really at any size to embrace some of these great habits. But before we dive into all of that stuff, always like to get to know you a little bit more. How did you get started in engineering? Yeah, I've always been a tinkerer. I was the one who was responsible for keeping the family PC uh, in working order. I was always the one who was tasked by my family and other families to fix the VCR or move the clocks at daylight savings time or whatever. And the thing that really drew me to software engineering in particular is that save some really awful mistakes that you can make, it's hard to really truly break something. And so you get as many tries as you want to build whatever you're trying to build uh, in contrast to something where you'd be building it physically and like, break it and then have to go back to the hardware store and then buy some more wood and fix it. With software engineering, you really truly can't do anything. And that unlocked my imagination of what I could build. That's really cool. That's like one of the most poetic like ways I've ever heard anyone talk about software engineering, but it's totally true because you get that rapid iteration. You can do whatever you want over and over again. And that that's really cool that you have a passion for it. Now on the security side, did you like come like build up a career in security or was it more general engineering? How, how does security play for you? Yeah, so I I would say that I was before, I mean, obviously at Vantifa, I'm uh, very immersed in security, not only as a head of engineering, who at what I joined was solely responsible or mostly responsible for the security at the company, but also given the product that we build and the product that we deliver to our customers is obviously a security product. Previous to that, I was more of a customer of security, if that makes sense. I would work with security teams. And I think, honestly, just sort of given the impression of security in software engineering, 
it's often positioned as the, like the bad guys who are going to say no to whatever you're trying to do. And I had a really eye-opening experience five, six years ago when I was at Dropbox, where I was responsible for a team that was building new and adjacent uh, features at Dropbox. So these were things that were not core files they can share, but things you could build on top of it. Um, mm -hmm. Like e-signatures, file transfer, stuff like that. It was not, it was zero to one products in the, in the orbit of what Dropbox is already doing. And what that meant was a lot of experimentation, a lot of just like building really quick and dirty MVPs to get validation and see what, you know, what our customers wanted. And the thing that I was scared about was, you know, if you have, you're holding these new products to the same Dropbox security bar, you're not going to be able to iterate quickly because everything has to be totally locked down before you can find product market fit. And the eye-opening moment that I had was, is that we, we at Dropbox had a great product security and application security team, and they found ways to say yes, instead of finding ways to say no. And so what we talked about was like, what is the audience size? What is the, what are you trying to do? What is the blast radius? If you mess this up, are you going to mess up file sync for everybody? Or is it just going to take down your own feature? We had those kinds of conversations to create guardrails around where we could experiment and where we couldn't experiment. And that sort of like, that interacting with a security team that was encouraging innovation rather than finding ways to say no, really opened my eyes to what was possible with security. And I, and I think that we've seen, there's more of a shift in the industry toward toward automation, towards smaller teams, towards finding ways to empower the business rather than just, just lock it down and secure it. Uh, but that was really my first like, realization. And I, that was the uh, beginning of a, a sort of love and interest in security that I, I hadn't developed previously. That sounds like a really cool role that you found at Dropbox, being able to, you know, create MVP. I think every, everybody would want to do that. That's awesome for you. It was an incredible um, team. And uh, the other thing that struck me, maybe it's like an outdated stereotype, but it, it did hit me is, or maybe it's like lazy security where it's just like everything's a no. And that's, you know, I've had some of those experiences where it's kind of just like, okay, whatever I want to do can't happen. So I might as well like think about something else because I'm blocked by my security team over and over. It seems like you had like a really smart group of people that were willing to understand the scope, the blast radius, what's the real impact? How can I help you, you know, keep iterations going? And hopefully that's where, where it's trending to. And I think it is. But if I kind of like would focus us on our first topic here, it's around what we said in the opener around startups kind of sucking at security or, or why are startups so bad at security? What are you seeing out there? Yeah. So I think maybe it's worth, it's worth taking a step back and understanding like why companies care about security at all. And I think there's a, a wide range of reasons. Like at the end of the day, like the purpose of caring about security is to mitigate risks to your company. And if you're a big company, if you're a Dropbox, for example, you have a lot of customers, you have a brand, you have a lot of money, you have a lot of share, share value, there's a lot of interesting, sensitive information, et cetera, et cetera. Losing that or compromising any of that would be really bad. And so you invest to make sure to mitigate the risk to those, to those valuable assets. On yeah. the total it's kind other of a of fear thing, right? Or at least when they're like, when, when I've kind of seen it for like a bigger company, it's like, we're afraid something terrible will happen to this amazing thing we've already built and have, you know, all these customers. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you really want to be the most secure that you can possibly be, you just like shouldn't do anything. 
You shouldn't leave your house. You should never build a company. You should never like have a customer. And so when you do have that value, I don't think it's necessarily fear. It's just a reality that there are a lot of things that can go wrong and you need to just choose how you invest in making those things less likely to go wrong. Wearing a bicycle helmet doesn't prevent you from like getting hit, hit in the head and dying, but it makes it much better than if you didn't have an helmet on. And I think on the other end of the spectrum, you have startups and startups have literally nothing to lose because they just started. And so yeah. if a startup really deeply cares about security before going and finding product market bid, they're doing it wrong. And they're, what I, I call this, this, this spectrum of when companies begin to care about security, I, I define as uh, startups, which is like best effort. They're trying to do their best, but there's not really anybody focusing on it. On the other end, it's sort of risk-driven security, like the Dropbox is up there. And in between, in the last five, six, seven years, as there's been a more, uh, a greater focus on security reviews and compl security compliance, there's this middle step, which I call compliance-driven security, which is companies that care about security in order to demonstrate it, but maybe wouldn't care about it otherwise. That makes sense. Oh, it totally and, makes sense. I mean, if, I, if I'm dem demonstrating my security, it will help with my revenue. I can have more, you know, maybe I can get into the government sector, whatever it is. It's usually a money-driven thing, but yeah. Exactly. And as companies sort of evolve and change, Many of them go through those different stages of best effort, compliance-driven, and risk-driven without knowing it, right? Like a lot of reasons why companies care about security is because they get breached and they're like, oh no, I wasn't doing it and I need to do it now. I can think of several companies where that was the case. So it's not to say that startups suck at security. It's just startups are probably the greatest risk of having an improper security posture given the risk that's associated with their company. Because at the beginning, you really shouldn't care about it because you have nothing to lose. And as you, as you progress, there's more and more to lose. And, and a lot of those companies fall into the trap of not investing early enough, even though they don't necessarily have to invest in the entire VA. Yeah, it's really, really interesting because totally what you're saying. And if I'm in a startup mentality, like my first mindset is, can I provide something valuable to the world? Can I provide something valuable? They call it product market fit kind of like the lame buzzword for it. But that's all your, that's what I was really trying to do, at least. Like, do I have something that can help someone else? If I'm in that mindset, and then of course you start getting customers and it progresses, when in your opinion should a startup start thinking about, or an engineering organization in a startup start thinking about security? Like, do you have a point in that spectrum that you kind of talk about? Yeah, I think that the, Framing it, I mean, it's easy to frame this as binary where I don't care at all, where I'm very invested in security. And I think that for startups, especially when you're laying the groundwork for how you do things and whether that's how you develop software, how you onboard employees, how you offboard employees, those sort of foundational decisions have meaningful security implications and they have meaningful productivity implications. And there are cheap things that a startup can do to start caring about security early. And that doesn't mean that, for example, one big source of risk is to a startup or a company is the vendors that they use. And there are very heavyweight processes and teams and software and all this stuff to keep track of all the vendors, the money that you're spending on them, the risks that they have, the data they have access to, whatever. And it's like, that's too much for a startup. Yeah. But just start with a spreadsheet. 
just like get in the mindset of caring about your vendors, get in the mindset of that, get in the mindset of keeping a list of all the tools that someone should no longer have access to when they leave the company. It's not perfect. It's not like a fully featured solution, like a, a single sign-on or an Okta or something like that. But if you just get started with, with something in security, it'll get better. And you're sort of creating the hooks in your processes to consider security as a priority, if that makes sense. Like rather than, yeah, to, it, rather than doing sense. 100% security, do like a 10% quick and dirty process to get started and, and evolve it as you need to. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, if you're kind of in that black and white mode and you're either not doing security or, or you are, it's probably a super heavy jump to be like, oh shit, we have lots of customers now. We better care about security as opposed mm -hmm. to kind of that more, you know, granular or like a gradient path up. I'm just thinking for like a very, let's say that, you know, I have like a 10 to 20 engineering person team or maybe like 10 or less. I'm like really tr truly in startup mode. Where do I start? Like you mentioned, okay, create a spreadsheet or something. It's like, do you have any tips of whether like a few things I could focus on in the beginning? Yeah. I think, well, it just, it depends on the company, right? There's a lot of sources of risk. So the employees are a source of risk, the things that people have access to, the types of permissions that they have access to, whether or not that access is removed when they leave. A very, very common source of issues is... yeah. Uh, you have someone who's been still in your GitHub organization and they left the company a year ago and they still have access to all your source code. And probably it's fine. Maybe it's fine, but you can't be sure. So employees are a source of risk. I mentioned earlier, vendors are a source of risk. Your application vulnerabilities, supply chain attacks, like using to, like vulnerable packages in your software is a source of attacks. There's also just a bunch of accidents that you can make. Like if you misconfigure your S3 buckets and you have sensitive credit card information inside an S3 bucket that's publicly available. Yeah. Whoops. Like there's a bunch of different yeah, I've, heard that, I've heard that a few times. The publicly available S3. I've I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, I don't think anyone knew about it, but maybe. You never know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th I think maybe just uh as a side note, I think the securing a company is like securing a house. And they're when people think about security breaches, what they think about are the, the really sophisticated attacks, like nation state attacks, or the equivalent would be climbing up a tree to go like dive in the third story window, like jump over the laser beam and steal the jewels. It's a lot easier to break into a house if you walk in the front door that's unlocked. Yeah. And that represents, I mean, that's simple stuff, like forgetting, forgetting to make your S3 buckets private that should be private making sure that you offer people. Those are the simple things and 90 plus percent of things that uh, actually result in a lot of breaches and that are relatively simple to just close the doors and close them. Yeah. It's almost like I want to provide everyone, you know, because a, a startup or any new business, it's so much work, right? So it's like if we can give people something they can do with security that's not too much, you know, mm -hmm. too much effort, Right. Cause you got to focus on, on the product and that type of thing. But like if, if I was to summarize, let's see, see if I'll miss something here. But first of all, it's like the offboarding checklist. Mm -hmm. Who at, who has access? Make sure they remove the access. That's one thing I heard you say. Um, another thing that you said is at least keep a list of all the third party vendors that you're using. And then the, the third one is kind of just the basics of access, making sure that your assets aren't public, like an S3 
fuck it. Does that, is there anything else you would, does that cover? Is there anything else you would add to it as like the first few things to do? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, so the way we think about it is there are best practices for security that are also best practices elsewhere, right? So if you think about access, right? If you're using SSO everywhere, as opposed to sharing passwords, A, that's a lot easier for everybody. Then you not have to like track down the passwords. You don't have to rotate them when people leave. There's no risk there. And it's also very secure because there's like a single point of disabling enabling accounts. Similarly, yeah. like when it comes to configuring your cloud infrastructure, doing something in infrastructure as, core, as code like Terraform or CloudFormation or whatever enables you to have a better handle on what that configuration looks like in a programmatic way that I can't just go log, log into the web console, console and change something accidentally. Similarly, gotcha. if you have like, if you're investing in centralized CICD, those are things like investing in CICD is a way to centralize your deployment pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. That is much, it's more secure because there's like a single source of, a single path for code to get to production. It's also a better way of developing instead of having people push code from their laptops. You know, it's going through a centralized path as well. So a lot, I guess more yeah. is to say a lot of the things you do for good engineering also have good good security implications as well. I, I actually love this even more. One of the things that we commonly talk about on this pod is productivity or efficiency or developer experience, things that can help accelerate, but also provide high quality. Like you, you brought up in investing in CICD early, you know, you have one single deploy path. I'm sure that makes it more secure because now you can like have observability in like a single way that everybody's doing it. But yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the ultimate list that can go with this pod. Like what are the things that first things to do that are super secure and our best engineering practices that will help all of your people be more productive? And you listed, you already listed a, a few of them. Is there any others that, that come to mind that jump out at you? Like, these are the ones I really like. Now. You know, I think it's, there's it's just general best practices, like keeping your servers up to date. If you're not using something like Lambdas or something that it doesn't have, if you're using long running things, like just make sure that things stay up to date as much as possible. Related to the accessing and SSO, like using MFA, multi-factor authentication, wherever you can, there's a, that's an evolving space too, but just anything more than just a password uh, is better than just a password. I think one realization that's not obvious here is that like a lot of the things that you do, a lot of people, you know, going back to what we we're saying that in terms of a perception of security, if security is perceived as a way to, as, as a way to say no, or as a way to slow you down, I don't think that's actually accurate, especially at startups. Like a lot of the things you do actually enhance your productivity. It's not, it is more secure to centralize your CICD, for example. It's also a yeah. lot faster to be able to push a button in a repeatable way to deliver software rather than making sure that your laptop is configured correctly or relying on one person's laptop to be able to do a prod push. I don't know if you'll, you'll have, have this data. I know it's like, because uh, we didn't talk about it before, but what are the most common attacks? Do you know? I think you mentioned, okay, usually what you hear in the news is some like sophisticated whatever attack because it's probably interesting to write about. It makes a big impact. But like, what, what is the most common security yeah, attack? I think it's, uh, well, I mean, I don't have the data on a pan, but it's off it's yeah. along the lines of the stuff that we talked about earlier. So somebody has access to something that they shouldn't have access to. And they, they, they maybe they get social engineered or, or compromised in some way, or they're malicious internally and, and walk out with it. 
somebody ac- accidentally still has access to your source code after they leave the company. You misconfigure your cloud infrastructure. Yeah. Or another common one is you are running an old version of some web server or whatever, and yeah. some someone's running a script that's scanning the internet for vulnerable versions of this web server and finds yeah. yours. It's happened. No idea of who you are, and you get popped. It's happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I, like this I've sort of experience that. Yeah. That that low level noise of like just what's happening on the internet is the big source of compromise again. Like it's like ninety percent of this stuff right. is like really simple things. Yeah. So I think it's like the message is start with this basic stuff. Don't go black mm-hmm. and white. You know, even if you're a startup, you know, start early. Assume mm-hmm. that you're going to be successful because it's going to make you more productive anyways, and not make you have to do that huge leap when you do become more and more successful. There's a quote here, actually, I think you kind of referenced it, but I wanted to get your uh, opinion on it. You were kind of joking, saying if a if a nation state is after you, they're going to get your data. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Again, from the from the thinking of things from Google's perspective, Google has some very interesting things that a lot of people would be interested in reaching or having access to. Google also has hired a like tip top security team to protect that data and to protect that, like mitigate that risk for the company. Yeah. Your startup has, I'm sure that the data is interesting. It's not as interesting as Google's data. And therefore, I think that, you know, if, if a nation state were to want to cut after your company, the level of sophistication, you know, in terms of like sophisticated supply chain attacks or anything like that, like, it's unlikely that a, I think Vanta does personally, but it's unlikely that a startup has a tip-top security team that would be able to defend against something like that. Um, yeah. And. Because you're not investing there. Right. And what I mean by that is, is, so I guess what that means then is that if, if a sufficiently sophisticated attacker is going to go after you, they're going to go after you. And so rather than worry about that, focus on the things that are actually much more likely threats to your company, the sort of 90% thing. Totally makes sense. Another question that I had for you when I'm thinking about small, smaller teams, if I have a smaller engineering team, I don't have that full-fledged, you know, tip-top security team. Do you think it's better to kind of say, assign like one of your engineers, like, okay, you're like the security person or do you think you're, is that the best way to go early on? Or is it more like, okay, let's try to like educate everyone or how do I how do I get started from a personnel standpoint? Yeah, totally. And so I think the the face of security at a company, the person responsible for it, as they go through that journey, evolves over time as well. And so typically when a company starts thinking about security, it's a co-founder or in my case, head of engineering that's sort of responsible for security. They may or may not have experience with it. They may or may not have expertise in it but they're just trying to do their best and hopefully leveraging some of the principles that we've talked about earlier on the show to just lay the groundwork for best practice security as best that they can. Over time, you know, eventually a company realizes it or decides that it needs to bring in someone who has expertise and or experience who's done this before, a security lead or a head of security, whatever that title looks like. And they're the ones that actually start building out. They're the ones who job it is to care about security kind of more solely rather than it being one of many jobs that head of engineering our co-founder has and that security organization evolves over time to 
sort of meet the needs of the business. And whether that's a CISO with like different types of teams invested in different ways or a small team powered by automation or whatever, that sort of, it sort of goes along that way. But there's an inflection point between someone like me caring about security, who also has a thousand other things to do, and there's someone whose job it is to care about security and may have other things to do too. But in that interim, when it's typically a technical team, so it's typically a head of engineering, it's typically a technical co-founder, and it's typically the engineering team more probably that's responsible for it. And I think that the one way to do that is to just shunt all of the security responsibility to a single person and essentially make them the security lead, which is not the job they were hired for. It's not the experience they have, not the expertise they have. What I found to be really successful at Vanta is instead to create more of a culture of security on the team. And, you know, that doesn't solve the problem of expertise, but if you create an inherent curiosity and you have everybody's eyes sort of passively on the lookout for opportunities to improve security, you get a lot more bang for your buck rather than shoving it down to somebody who's you like by sort of by definition has other jobs as well. Let's talk about that a little bit. So how do you create that culture where everybody cares at least a little bit, especially I'll kind of make up a scenario. Let's say that we have a small team and it's not top of mind right now, but someone's listening to this pod and is like, okay, I listened to Matt. Like I want to make a change. What do I do? Yeah. So I, this is maybe a little bit more management theory, but the way in which you get someone to care about something is to care about it yourself and reward and encourage people when they care about it. And so from a security perspective, you know, if I, I decide that there are some key things that I want to do to help with security in the company, I can do a little bit of research, find out some good good principles for pragmatic startup security, think about how they apply to my company and, and take on some of these projects. Like, hey, you know, last last time we offboarded somebody, they still had access to GitHub, like we'll just keep using that example. I don't like that. So I, as the as the manager of the team, I'm going to create a spreadsheet of all the things that we need to offboard someone from when they leave the company. And like, we'll use it the next time and we'll try it. Anybody have any ideas? Let's just make sure we have the full list of tools in there. And that sort of stepped off a light bulb in people's head. They're like, hmm, okay. So Matt cares about this. Interesting. That's, that's good to know. The other like super duper duper important thing, and I, I would actually say it's even more important, is when somebody else brings up, it's, well, it's to create the space for people to bring up potential security investments that your, your company might make. And when they do, fund them. I mean, fund the, fund the ones that make sense. But like, if someone is like, hey, we should probably be using SSO for our AWS accounts instead of like copy pasting passwords all around. And like, is that the thing that's going to get us a product market fit? Probably not. Is that the thing that's going to like unlock a, a totally new realm of business or close this customer? Probably not. Is it a good thing to do? Yes. And if you, if you, if somebody brings that up and you say, yes, this is important enough for us to invest in, that encourages more people to have their eyes open for other opportunities. And yeah. it's not to say that like security is more important, like everything is all a prioritization question. As you think about the long-term value of the, of the decisions you make in terms of how you fund stuff, funding something where somebody brought it up because it was a security concern and it is good, it helps you build a security culture, provides a lot of value to the company 
in the long term, especially even if it's not immediate value to the company today. It's like making a foundational investment in tech, right? Like making your database five times more scalable isn't going to help you today, but it's going to help you in a year. And making a foundational security investment maybe isn't immediately going to provide value, but because somebody suggested an idea and because you said, yes, that's a great idea, let's do it, and security is important, it's that much more likely that the rest of the team is also going to be on the lookout for these things. Matt, one of the things that I was thinking about when it's coming to having a good culture around security practices and just the mentality around it, I've been in situations where a security issue does arise or a developer is noticing something that should be brought up, but maybe it's not always brought up. Like, how do you handle that situation so you can create uh, openness around security within the team itself? Yeah, totally. This actually relates a lot to the things that I care about as a leader and how that translates to the behaviors on the team. And bad things happen. Bad things happen security-wise, but bad things happen reliability-wise too, right? The site goes down, something is broken, some customers are upset. And in those moments, what's most important is learning from whatever happened such that it doesn't happen again or is less likely to happen again. And the way in which to do that, both from a security perspective and from a reliability perspective, is to create a blameless culture of reflection. And so when bad things happen, talk about it, about the tools and processes that were broken that enabled the situation to happen. 95% of the time, it's not a malicious actor. It's not an incompetent engineer. It's somebody fat fingered a command because it was hard. You had to type it exactly right in order for it to go correctly. And so if you can create a culture of blamelessly talking about mistakes when they happen, finding uh, depersonalized ways to discuss improvements and way to, ways to make changes to it, that encourages people to bring up when they see things that are going wrong, even if they cause them, because they know that they won't personally be, be blamed for it. That's cool. And um, kind of the concept that I took away there, I mean, maybe even like the first time that you create that space for the security ideas, someone's bringing something up. Maybe it's not even like the number one security thing, but it's like, yeah, let's do it. Great idea. Then you'll, you know, you get the next one going and the next one going. And I really like what we were talking about earlier in the conversation because you were saying, okay, like you show, okay, Matt cares about this. If, if it's something that's also productive or like increases productivity, like make sure to call it out. Like, yes, let's do this. It's amazing security idea because also it will help us deliver software faster or whatever it is, like improve our software quality. Uh, and the flip of that, no. too, if somebody brings up a productivity thing that's actually a security thing, too, you can say, that's a great idea and it helps us be more secure because I care about that. Yeah, so it's kind of kind of sounds like if you're su super early on, you know, educate yourself first a bit mm -hmm. as the engineering leader or like if you get assigned as that de facto person so you can call that out. Hey, this awesome productivity thing we're doing, by the way, it's also really good for security and here's why. That, that's a good call too. I mean, I think that like, Again, going back to the sort of like security as the org that says no, security is actually much more accessible than I think the industry would have you, the older version of the old guard of the industry would like you to believe, right? A lot of the stuff we've talked about, I don't think any of that was just like, you know, a lot of the stuff we talked about in terms of like, make sure people have access to the right things, making sure your cloud is configured correctly. There's like a long list of those best practices where 
a normal person who doesn't, or normal, a, like a lay person without context and security would say, oh yeah, yeah, that totally makes sense. That would be, that would be more secure than, than not doing that. But it's not like there's not, there's some secret sauce that if you're not doing the secret sauce or paying the consultant top dollar, then you're going to get reached yeah. all the time. Um, it actually is more accessible. It actually is something that a, a regular, a lay engineer can engage with. It's one thing that Vanta has done. You know, we've taken a lot of these learnings ourselves around what is pragmatic startup security. What are the easy things you can do to get started? We've turned those both into some like blog posts and guidance. There's a, there's a, there's a few things out there. It's also our product in many ways. Like we provide a lot of those tools to not only educate people around what are the best practices in security, especially if you're an early company getting started, but also the tools to then go demonstrate. So you go like practice that security and then demonstrate. Yeah, definitely want to make sure that we include, you know, those blogs or whatever you have from Vanta that can help people get started. And actually, you know, before we kind of wrap up here, the last thing that caught me that's on my mind that I want to kind of hit you on is budget or dollars. And I, and by the way, I don't know where uh, Vanta stand, but you know, like we said in the beginning, $1.6 billion company, I'm sure you all make a lot of money, but let's say I don't have that much money, right? I'm a, I am that earlier startup. How do I think about tooling? Is there free tools? Is there cheap tools? How much should I invest dollar, like, you know, hard dollar wise on security stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think for a, a startup, the most expensive thing you can do is hire somebody. And sort of any tooling, any automation is going to be way cheaper than hiring somebody, especially in a security field where it's a very coveted skill set. There's a lot of professionals out there that command and deserve high salaries based on the value they provide to companies. So the most expensive thing you can do is hire somebody. The cheapest thing you can do is roll it yourself and do proxies on your own, right? Like keep your list of of vendors and manage their risk. Have an onboarding checklist that's like an, an offboarding checklist that are in a spreadsheet somewhere. And somewhere in between are the types of tools that you can invest in. And a lot of security tools out there are specific to maybe more complex workflows and point workflows. So things like my biggest problem is that I need to make sure that I have visibility into all the application vulnerabilities in my system. So I'm going to install a tool that like does static analysis or dependency analysis or something. That's like just one piece. That's one vertical that you might care about. If, again, there's like a, you can do vendor, make go deep on vendor management and buy a tool and a whole procurement flow and all that stuff. I don't mean to plug Vanta, but Vanta is, is, is a tool that provides a sort of like at least an MVP version of a lot of different ways for security. And it's a way to like provide a complete suite and a beginner tool set for a company that's just starting to think about security. Some of those products like grow and serve mid-market customers and like serve companies along that security curve. And some of them, you know, once you get to a certain point, we will integrate with the solution that you'll eventually migrate to. But that sort of, that sort of breadth, uh, there aren't many tools that cover that sort of breadth of security. And that's, if a startup is interested in getting started with security, that advantage can be a complete. Great. Well, Matt, this has been a really great pod. And uh, thank you so much for coming on and like taking your time to kind of educate us. I know that there's like really cool stuff going on 
at Vanta, both from a, a hiring perspective, but as we kind of started to talk about here, starting your security journey. Can you give us an update on both, you know, high, like uh, career opportunities, that kind of stuff, and then like anything that you want to say about the tool set? Yeah. One thing I would love to leave the listeners with is that it's never too early to engage with security and you can do so in a really cheap way. Like you, like quick and dirty, again, like spreadsheets, like lightweight process. Vanta is a tool that when companies adopt it early, it sort of sets them on a much higher foundation for best practices kind of across the board for what we consider to be startup security. And as those companies grow, as they evolve, they can take advantage of more and more pieces of the platform as the complexity of their company grows. And so, you know, obviously I'd love companies to, to start using Vanta, but investing in something there is uh, can pay significant dividends down the road. We at Vanta, of course, are hiring also. We've, uh, our business has grown quite a lot. There's a lot of customers who are getting a lot of value out of Vanta. It's a game changer for small companies that otherwise like don't necessarily have that expertise. It's uh, increasingly a game changer for companies where they do know what good looks like and they don't want to do it in spreadsheets. And the automation that we provide enables uh, companies to do more with fewer people. And we're growing very quickly uh, on the software engineering side, especially. And if you are interested in joining a company that is making a huge impact on the world and has interesting and fun technical challenges that have a very talented and kind engineering team, please consider applying. Vanta.com slash jobs. Awesome. So, you know, everyone definitely check out, you know, the career opportunity at Vanta. It seems like a really good culture, some interesting problems, and they're scaling. So it's always good for a career. And if you are thinking about taking that first step, maybe like you're already at the spreadsheet level and doing the basics, check out Vanta, uh, see what they got, you know, for some of that entry level and foundational growth stuff. And also, you know, thanks everyone for joining us here today. A quick reminder for our listeners, if you haven't already rated and reviewed the show on your podcasting app of choice, particularly Apple Pods, please do so. Reviews are a crucial way that our show gets discovered. And Matt, again, thank you so much for coming on and educating us today. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time.